Good morning. Ah, what a glorious day. If you have your Bibles in hand, would you please turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. If you're visiting, welcome, of course. Uh, We are not in the middle, towards the latter end of our series. We've been doing the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We are days away from the crucifixion, man. You know, not that it's going to take us a couple weeks to finish it, but... Um, we were in this thing where they call it the Olivet Discourse, and um, this is where Jesus is going to um, give these parable, warning parables, actually, to warn Christians that, um, um, well, some of it's applicable to you and I, you know, um, but really the context is, um, you know, that time period known as Jacob's Trouble. And, uh, you know, the seven years of the Great Tribulation. You and I will not be there, uh, but that's the context of it. Uh, But as we go through this, um, what we're going to be able is to make applications to a lot of this stuff. Uh, Three words just to keep in the forefront of your minds. Righteous, ready, and and being responsible. I think that sums it up. Uh, to be righteous, and I don't mean a, a, a self-righteousness, but I'm talking about a right-onness, uh, living the right way in the last days that, you know, we're living in now, being ready, you know, not just ready for the coming of the Lord, but ready to, to be able to give a reason why we believe what we believe and why you and I believe that, you know, pre-rapture, man, I mean pre-tribulation, we are going to be raptured, harpazoed. Uh, Right off the face of the earth, man, to meet the Lord in the air. And then we need to be responsible in these days that we live in, um, to be responsible. Imagine that, that we have to encourage people to be responsible in these days and age. But, unfortunately, we do. Uh, In Matthew 24, we had left off two weeks ago, there around verse uh, 29. So we'll pick our reading up there. And finish the chapter. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn. Learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all things are these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of what day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angel of heaven, but my Father only. But as it were in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. 
and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One shall be taken, the other left. Watch ye therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what, in, uh, what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up or broken into. Therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over his goods. But and if, notice gang, that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The Lord of the servants shall come in the day when he looketh not for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of. And he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you be kind and stand with me once more with Bible in hand. And we'll pray over this section. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you again, Father. I I know I seem like I say this often, but thank you, Father, for the desire that you've placed in our hearts to know it, to understand it. Lord, to, to be disciples and students, to be Bereans, those of a noble character. Father, thank you, because the natural man... He has no yearning for the word of God at all. So I thank you for that. And I thank you here at, at church, Lord. We just want to study your word. And we again, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to be our chief instructor and anoint your word, Father. We want to leave this place this morning, Lord, being able to declare to friends and family we have been enriched by your word. So we, we give you our hearts right now, Lord in our minds and it's in Jesus name we pray and everyone said together amen amen thank you so much again just to 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 hit one thing before we go any further because I really don't want to make a big deal out of it there in verse 31 where he says he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trump and they will uh, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth um, I'm sorry, from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, this trumpet, um, <clears throat> the last trump, it, it, we have to be careful with that, you know, because there are those out there that make all kinds of speculation about this trump. What is the last trump? Is there a series of trump? And I think we just get trumped out. <laughs> no pun intended. But, um, but I really think, gang, the, the trump that's mentioned here is actually a shafar. It's one of those large, curly kind of ram's horn, you know, where you, you blow it. I actually tried to find one this week. Couldn't find one. I was going to blow it for you, you know. You know. And, um, but I think it's interesting, though, um, using this, this wording here, the sound of a trump. Um, it, it's an old ancient instrument. 
um, not to play music with, but um, it, it was blown for the inauguration of a king. When a king would be ordained, you know, there would be the shafars just blowing the horn there. It was also used to gather in people. The, now, do you see the typology of it, though, you know, uh, to, to inaugurate a king coming in and to gather in the people? It was also used as a way of gathering people in for the great festivals, like the Feast of, of Passover and the Feast of Weeks, or known as the Feast of Pentecost. You know, the shofar would be blown also for the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, you know. So the the trump would be sound. Now, gang, the trump's going to sound. But the trump not really going to be sound where you and I are going to hear something. And okay, here comes blast off. Here comes the rapture, as as Paul the Apostle would talk about in 2 Thessalonians, you know. um, That comes unaware. You know, we will, there will be something sounded, but man, when the rapture of the church happens, according to Corinthians, it's going to happen as fast as the twinkling of an eye, a nanosecond, right? That quick, being lifted off, being trans, um, well, being metamorphosed into a glorious body, the same type of body that Jesus was resurrected with as well. Now, listen, this is called the Olivet Discourse. So one of the longest teachings Jesus gave, the reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is because he's teaching it there on the Mount of Olives. And you know what just fascinates me? I don't know if I were Jesus and I'm not. I think as, as excited as I get about this eschatology stuff, you know, the studying of the second coming, you know, I think I would have taught about that at the beginning of my ministry. But he waits this most important thing in his heart to warn the tribulation saints, to warn the church, be ready, you know, be passionate, be involved. I'll point these things out as we continue to go through. Um, But he he waits for the very last thing he's going to tell them. You know, even the angels, when they were standing there that where Jesus is being, you know, ascending up into heaven, even the angels would say, hey, what are you guys gazing and looking up at? Don't you know that that Jesus, the way he went up is coming back down, you know, alluding again to the second coming of Christ. See, gang, the reason I'm passionate about it, you know, is because I, I, you know, I'm excited about the Lord's coming, right? Who, what Christian isn't? You know, well, today there's a lot of Christians, aren't they? Don't even believe he's coming. Did you hear what I said? That there's a lot of people within Christendom today, and I don't doubt their salvation, but they really think they're in the millennium right now as we speak. If this is the millennium, <laughs> I am greatly disappointed. <laughs> the lion laying down with the lamb, go try that. My, my, my little Bucky got lost the other day or meandered down the road and this young little boy was trying, um, you know, to get him back home with kind of hurry. And every time he went down the pet Bucky, he goes, like that. I said, this is not the millennium. You know, he's a little piranha with legs. That's all this creature is. But, 
But, the, but it's a, it, it, mainly this body of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew is just, for, I mean, chapter 24 and 25. That's the teaching there. But to establish the context there, let's jump a little further upwards, if you don't mind, verse 29. And let me read to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Now, most scholars believe he's referring to the great tribulation here. Sun being darkened, the moon's not going to give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the Son of Man will appear in heaven. He will appear. Every man, every woman, every child will see him. How do we know that? Well, right before this, and we studied it a couple weeks ago, he said, as as the lightning flashes across the entire globe, east to west, so shall the Son of Man come. Everybody's going to see the second coming. Not going to see the rapture of the... When Jesus comes for the rapture of the church, folks, he's not touching down on planet earth as we know it. He is only coming down to the first heavens, meaning just probably in the atmosphere. He's calling the church to meet him there, and then he's taking us into the bride chamber where for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And seven years, you and I are going to feast with him, you know, and, and enjoy the marriage there, the, the consummation, as it were, there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's just going to be a glorious thing. But he says, when the Son of Man does appear, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, for they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not great glory, I mean great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound, a trumpet. Here again, another trumpet. Right, And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end to the other. Now we're dealing with the end of the tribulation. We're in that period known as time, times, half a times, Jacob's trouble, the 1,260-day period there, right after the, the, uh, the desecration of the temple. You know, he's gathering these people in. Now, who are the elects? The elect. Now, listen, uh, this is more complicated than you think. Because, uh, I mean, if, if you're new at studying the scripture, you think, well, the elect would be his church, right? Well, sometimes God does call his church the elect. Sometimes also he calls the Jews his elect. Sometimes he calls all believers his elect. Sometimes it's the elect from the very beginning of time to the very end. These are his elect. So these elect are being gathered into a spot. Now, you know what's so glorious about that? God knows who his elect are, you know. Just like he knows who you and I are. He knows you. He knows you by name. He knows your deepest thoughts, your secrets. He, He knows you intimately. And then if you don't sense that in your heart, then then maybe, folks, that you need to examine that issue. How close to the Lord are you? How close is the Lord to you? Is there anything in our lives that separates that intimacy between you and the Lord, me and the Lord? And when that is brought to our awareness, then it, does it make our hearts race? Does it make, does, is there an urgency? Like, Lord, man. See, you think we can fall in, the Lord, uh, in love with the Lord when we first come? You know, how many of you guys, when you first, when you first found Jesus or Jesus f- found you, but you, you fell in love with him? It wasn't like pulling you out of the fire because you were afraid of hell. Now you found out that he was your father. You found out he loved you. You found out that you were his, the apple of his eye. 
You know, and you just, and you endured him, and you just wanted to be with him and hang with him. You picked up your Bible every morning. You carried it with you all throughout the day. You wanted to talk with him. You wanted to take some walks with him. That was like, that's the way it was with us in the beginning, yeah? And I fell in love with him. You know, it's very possible to fall out of love with him. I don't know, you become complacent. You become a little, you know, lethargic mundane in your relationship with it now it's shallow it's not deep anymore and if that is you today and I'm speaking to you I pray the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone because he's a God that changes not we change and I pray that in these last days you're not thinking like that evil servant how they've been saying that there's always been wars and there's always been famine and there's always that's evil. That's evil. What the Bible says, that's evil. That's wicked. And that's only going to cause you to look more through the lens of the world rather than the lens of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I threw that out to you. Um, the, tri- the great tribulation, man, it's just going to be unparalleled. You know, you, you think, again, you think of the seven seals, Revelations chapter 6. There's unparalleled wars that are going to break out. There's unparalleled human slaughter. There's going to be worldwide famine and worldwide inflation. This is just the seal. See, there's three series of judgments being poured out. First, it will be the seals. Then the seventh seal will introduce the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet will introduce seven more bowls of God's judgment. The idea is of bowls is God pouring out his judgment all over the world. You think it's bad now. You haven't seen anything. The trumpets begin in Revelation 8. We see hail and fire falling from the sky. We see rivers and springs being polluted and poisoned. We see grass, anything green just burning up. There in Revelation 9, we see a pit opening up. Revelations chapter 12, we see hordes of demons starting just to just blanket the earth. No restrainer, no holy. And I'm not saying, I'm, I know who I'm talking to. I know you're the bride of Christ. But this should still stir your hearts. Because this is what your loved ones are going to face who don't know Christ. Your loved ones, your kids possibly. That's, it. That's very sobering, isn't it? Our good friends. I was talking to my, my son not too long ago, and we were just talking. He's got a lot of worldly friends. Nothing wrong with having world. You just, you just don't fellowship with them, but we should be reaching out to them. He says, Dad, one of the hardest things for me to grasp is that all these good people that I know will be judged like this. I'm not saying it. The Word says it. Revelations 16, the beginning of the bowl judgment. There we see malignant sores just breaking out all over people. We see, again, the water sources, whatever water source was left, being polluted once again. We see hail again falling from the sky, weighing up to 125 pounds. Falling on people. People are asking for mountains to fall upon them just to die. People are laying on the street and death won't depart from them. Then after all that, we have 
we have um, international conflict that God's drawing these nations to Israel. And then there will be that last and final great conflict. <clears throat> there will be a coalition of nations coming against not just Israel, but fighting against God himself. That's how far depraved, dark people will get. They think they'll take on God. We go in there around verse 32. We get into this area. These are warning parables, you know. And a lot of these things are misunderstood, misinterpreted. And, and I'll, I'll do my best to try to keep it in context. But know, too, when you're reading these parables, sure. Remember when, G, when Jesus showed the disciples these, this is Matthew 24, he showed them this, the great temple. And, he's, you know, and, and in Mark's gospel, it was the disciples said, look how massive these stones are. 14 by 20 by 7 to 250 tons in weight, you know. But Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. So when they heard Jesus say the temple was going to be completely demoed, demolished, they said, wow, that's got to be the end of the world as we know it. Well, what will be the sign of this? And what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? There was basically three questions. So that's what kind of sparked the Olivet Discourse. And so Jesus is saying, man, there's coming a time. Again, the tribulation period, unparalleled to anything you've ever seen before. And thus he starts to warn them in these parables. So there, in light of the seven years, in light of the great tribulation, there's also principles that the Christian can embrace as well. So I'll try to bring, bring those out to you as well. He says, now learn this in verse 32. Parable of the fig tree. When its branch has uh, already become tendered and puts forth fruits, you know that summer is near. Also, uh, so you also know that when you see these things, when you see these things, know that, that it's near, it's at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. What things, he, you know, in our context, sun darkened, stars falling, the seals, the, the trumpets, the bowls. When you see these things, you got to know that something... At, uh, it's going to take place or be uh, towards the end. He says in verse 35, heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my words by no, by, will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth. Hey, hey, Christian, just as a side note, remember that heaven and earth will pass away. You know, we're, we're not taking anything with us. No, I shouldn't say that. There are some things we will take with us. We'll take our loved ones with us. We can witness and pray and but as far as earthly things we're not taking anything you know we put so much effort and energy into worldly things and yet heaven and earth is just going to peter says it's going to burn up man it's just it's all going to burn up heaven and earth will but now now the fig tree who is it what is it now, right away, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you feel, well, the fig tree is that national emblem of, of Israel. This is speaking of Israel. I would not argue that. It, 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 is, it is Israel. And so, so some have interpreted that this, this 
this fig tree, branch already tendered and puts what you know that, that it was the rebirth of Israel. And they like to say that in 1948 is the fulfillment of this. In 1948, after the Second World War, God brought, started to open the doors for Israel to come back into. I actually started back even before that in the latter parts of the 30s. But um, Israel found itself as a nation once again in 1948. Now listen, gang, I think that is a great fulfillment of prophecy. <clears throat> for you and I, indeed, it looks like something is beginning to, to take place. But I'm not sure if that's what he's referring to in totality. Like, because if you say that where it says down there, I'll say that this generation's not going to. So if you add 40 years to it, um, then we pass the time period. So it means a lot more. This, this idea of Israel becoming a great nation once again. And listen, it's a sociological miracle. There's never been a race of people on the face of this planet in human history who was diaspora, dispersed around the globe, lost their language, lost their identity, lost the star of David, lost their monetary shekel, and then all of a sudden God brings them back and they, they possess all that again. They still speak the Hebrew. They still use the shekel. They still fly the star of David. They now have their identity as Jewish people. This is a God thing. Amen? So in 1948, when that happened, my goodness, I kind of wonder about some of those Old Testament prophecies, what the commentary said pre or before that rebirth of 1948. Quite interesting. Anyway, I think it's a little bit more. I don't, I think for the disciples, it would have been too obscured. Well, when you see the freak tree being born again, I, you know, I don't know. You know, the, 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 the word down there in verse 34, where it talks about this generation, some have said it, it, it literally means generation. The Greek word is genea, um, but it also means a race. So he could say before the raid, the Jewish race is over. That's one possibility. And then the end will come. Or it could just, it could mean just, it could be just straightforward. Like, like he's referring to almost like a timeline. Because what Luke says, the parallel gospel to Matthew, Luke 21, he says this. Look at the fig tree and then look at all the trees. So I really think what he's talking about. Okay, when you see something really happening with Israel. There's a timeline to keep your eyes on. In other words, there's going to be a winter of tribulation, but a springtime of blessing coming for Israel. Now, how does that apply to us, though? Because we're not going to be in the tribulation period. Well, I think when we, st when we well, we did see in 1948, some of you might have even been around that time where Israel became a nation once again. And now we're starting to see, you know, this winter of precursors or preludes. Of something that's just leading us to a, a springtime of blessing, meaning the rapture of the church. Again, an old, an old hippie, Jesus people person, uh, back in the '60s, wrote a song. If you're truly wise, you'll keep your eyes on Palestine. And Christian, if you're really smart, and you're a student of Scripture, and you love prophecy, study, study, study. But know this. 
Matthew 24, 25, geocentric, right there. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem or Israel. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem and keep your eyes on the Temple Mount because that's going to be ground zero. We go down a little further. He says in verse 36, but of the hour, the day and the hour, no one knows. Now, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about a second coming. Well, not necessarily because when it says he doesn't, no one knows the day or the hour. See, gang, when he does come back, for the Old Testament, pardon me, for the tribulational saint, those that are, have determined not to take the mark of the beast, they're going to believe that this is the tribulation, God's judgment. When they see the Antichrist going into the temple and desecrating the abomination that causes desolation, when they see the Antichrist doing it, that very day they can start to count 1,260 days according to the prophet Daniel. And that Jesus will touch down on the Mount of Olives where the east will split from the west. The Mediterranean Sea flow into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea becomes alive. Jesus coming back and taking his place in Jerusalem. Bam! You can count it like you can watch it like watching a clock. But for you and I, we don't know. We do not know when Jesus is coming back. That's why when, next week we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about the, the, the parable of the virgin. Five were wise and five were foolish. They didn't know when he was coming. This is what scares me in church today, in Christendom today. And people want to shy away from this. See, the Bible also says it's a wicked and an adulterous generation. Adulterous, spiritual adultery. That says the Lord delays his country or his coming. You know, we have to we have to live like he's coming any second, folks. He could come in my heart. I really believe he could come before we finish this teaching this morning. And then we will be caught up to meet the Lord. Mom and dad will go first. The dead in Christ will rise first. We that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I'll probably get there a little bit ahead of you guys. I'm about three foot. I'll wait for you. But as it were in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. See, I think he's dealing with a time period, the unfolding of events of the ultimate final judgment when God intervenes human history. He'll do that pre, he's doing it now, rapture. But man, will he be doing it during the tribulational period. We talk about Daniel's 70th week. We're doing that on Wednesday evening, studying Daniel. Daniel, I've come to let you know what your visions and your dreams are all about. You know, there's been 70 weeks determined upon your nation, 69. And then he talks about the Messiah being cut, cut off. And then that 70th week, heptad, seven-year period of tribulation. I think it all begins at the rapture of the church. But when will that rapture happen? No one knows. See, there was a guy by the name of Edgar Wisent. He was a NASA engineer, but he also was a prophecy buff. Now, I don't know if you were saved back then and collect books and read books, but he, he, he took this literal that when Israel became a nation in 1948, he does his little math thing. You know, he's an engineer, of course, you know. So he writes a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. 
<laughs> he was selling those books at a record rate. I wonder after 1980, I wonder in 1989 he gave everybody back their money. Yeah, we do crazy things like that, don't we? We buy books thinking, oh, this is the next prophetic book out there. How, how many of you guys book, bought books on Y2K? Well, get, let's get ready for the Y2K, man. And, man, these guys were making money left and right with these scare tactic books and all. No man knows the hour. No man knows the day. You know, we don't have to read all these weird books. That, no, I shouldn't call them weird. I'm going to get emails. Yeah, enjoy your books. Enjoy them. <laughs> You know, you, you want to spend your 1995 paperback, but you go right ahead. Listen, read your Bible. That's, that's what you need. Study it. Show yourselves approved. But be that as it may, it says, as the, as the days of Noah, so will the Son of Man. What, what, was, it, what was it about now? Well, what we read in Genesis 6, 1, um, there was an increase in population. It says, now it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, there was a, there was a population explosion. You know, right now, what are we, about 7.58 billion people? I, I don't know. But you know what some people are saying? I don't know who those people are, but by the year 2050, 2050, 30 years from now, we, might, we will have between 21 to 22 billion people. On the face of this earth. That's a lot of people. People are afraid now. You know of all this climate change. And will we have enough food on the earth. And all that. Imagine. Some of us might even be alive. During that that population. But that's what increase in population. There was also an an increase in weirdness. Spiritual weirdness. You know. kind of a strange topic but it tells us in genesis 6 2 that the sons of god demonic angels saw the daughters of men thought they were beautiful so they took wives for themselves of whom of of all whom they chose what's that all about i don't know it's some really weird thing that nephilims and zamzooms these race of giants came from something really weird and i'll tell you something gang there's a lot of spiritual weirdness out there today. What people think on, we might not see demons. Hey, listen, by the way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that out, by the way. The closer we get to the rapture of the church, and even in the tribulation period, will there, will there be that weirdness on the face of the earth again? I think so. Thank God we're getting raptured. I really don't want to see some 13, 16-foot guy walking up to me, you know, it's got crazy looks on his face. But there will be a, an, uh, an increase uh, of, of spiritual strangeness. Also, there will be a, an increase, according to Genesis 6, 5, of just wickedness and violence. You know, every time I watch the news now, you see this group of young people, you know, trying to stop traffic. And now they're blasting people with bear spray and pepper spray and canes and getting clubbed. It's very violent out there today. It tells us again in Genesis 6, 5, these are pre-Noah's flood. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only uh, evil continual, that means that they were bent on just doing evil. No matter what was said, no matter 
what warnings were go- they're going to do it and do it without with with no reservation. No, no, it doesn't matter how many protests, how many people are coming up with real and good reasons why not to live this way. They're going to do it anyway. And my goodness, boy, have you read the papers? Have you heard the news? It's all over today. There will be an unheeding, and it tells us there in Genesis, I just didn't write down the scripture verse for it, but unheeding uh, or unheeded preaching. Nobody will heed to the gospel or the preaching of God's word. In fact, according to the minor prophet, there will be a famine. Of God's word. This is a miracle. But by the way. This is a miracle. That you want to come out here. And you want to hear a Bible study. And you just want God's word. Have you ever been to a church. Where you go in there. And you just. Beautiful church. Hymns are great. And the guy will get up there. And he'll give a lecture. And you walk away. And you still feel hungry. You just want God's word. You want to feast on it. You just you want to you want your belly, your spiritual belly, to be full of God's precious word. Well, we know that um, he preached for 120 years and not one convert, except for his family. And again, that's who we can take with us. That's a great picture there. We can take our families. Um. It says in verse 38, and as in the days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. You know, life is, we, we, I was just involved with a wedding just yesterday. Beautiful wedding, couple, handsome, gorgeous wife, just beautiful. Everybody looked at it. It's just life went on, man. You know, people were marrying, giving in marriage until. So things will, in the world, to the world, things are just going to seem so normal. And many believe that the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, people are going to be thinking the same thing. People are getting married. People are still having their picnics together. Yeah, there's some strange things going on around here. All those Christians are gone, thank goodness, you know. I think that's that's a blessing. Get rid of those born-again Christians. Who cares where they went? Good riddance. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. You're going to be like this. You know, I'm warning my friends left and right. This is a sign. Of the, I really believe this coronavirus is a sign. It's a precursor to what's going to happen more literal in, in the tribulation. When this thing first broke out, I had someone close to me saying, that's just a scare thing. It's probably just like any other flu. Is it now? It's only going to get worse. I pray they get a handle on it. I do. I, I don't want to see anyone die. I don't want to see anyone get sick. I, it breaks my heart. We're not going to stop it. Wickedness is only going to grow, increase. But it was just normal. Verse 39 said, They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There's going to be two in the field, one taken. Is that the rapture happen? Oh, well, you can look at that and think, okay, but that is true. That's what's going to happen. One will be taken, one will be left. But I think in this case, he's talking about judgment. One will be taken into judgment and one will go the other way. Two men who women will be grinding 
Or two men will be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the meal, one taken, one left. You know? You know, no matter where you might stand on t- interpreting these verses here, one thing we can agree is when judgment happens, it's done. And it's too late. I'd rather be caught up in the rapture. The one thing that I love about, you know, studying the, these texts is God knows the difference between righteous and wicked. And I'm not sure if we have it, uh, if it's going to be up here, but uh, in Second Peter chapter 2, I just want to read this. And again, Peter dealing with the last days, it says this. Starting with verse 4, but for if God did not spare his angels who sinned, if he didn't spare them, cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, did not spare the ancient world, saved Noah, one of eight people, or eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of, of the ungodly, Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the, of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelt among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. See, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Um, God knows. See, the, the word tells us, and this is one, one, another reason why I'm strong on or pre-tribulation, is you, God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. He, he, it's against his nature. And so he knows how to make the difference. Um, And that should bring peace to your heart. But for you and I, even though God knows that, he tells us in verse 42 to watch. Verse 42 says, watch therefore, you don't know what hour the Lord is coming Now, again, just doing a little exegesis here, the word watch there, Gregorio, um, literally means to give strict attention. Not only to give strict attention, to be cautious, and to be cautious, to be active. Strong says to take heed, lest through remission and indulgence some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes you. The word's not used that much in the Greek New Testament. You know, I, I can share this with you, sort of like a, a little analogy. You know, when I was a, um, sort of 17 or 18 years old, I, um, I loved the water. I, was, I just still do. I love swimming. I, but I was a lifeguard. I was a lifeguard for like five years. And I worked at this place in near Riverside called Lake Lonnie, and, and they kept me out on a, this little raft, and, you know, just it was a lake, so the water was not clear, you know, lake water. And one of the things my boss would always tell me when I'd get there and i have my gear on, he goes, now remember, be attentive, watchful. You know, you never, he would always say, you never know when you've got to jump in, right? And he would encourage us, don't talk to anyone, 
keep your eyes fixed on the water, you know. This one afternoon, I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm eagle-eyed. I don't know how it got past me, but as I was going around a second time, all I saw was this tiny little hand out of the water, about, man, 100 feet from me. And I looked again. I heard the, the, there was an alarm that went off. I saw them running, getting a boat, and heading in that direction. I was a little closer. Joe dove in, got the kid up out. He was completely passed out. I brought him to the top. The boat had reached us there. They started doing CPR. They brought the young lad back, thank God. But that's what the word means. You have to be that tentative to the coming of Jesus. Watchful. Keep your eyes on people around you. On your own life, personally. There are a lot of people that are drowning in this world right now. You might be here right now going, Harry, I'm that person. I'm drowning. You know, I would say to you, where are you at in your daily devotions? Where are you at talking to the Lord? You know? You know, that same word, Gregorio, is also mentioned in 1 Peter 5.8, where he says, be sober, be vigilant. That's the word there. Because your adversary, like the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have to be that diligent. You know what? You want to you sometimes walk by people and say, do you know you got a lion chewing on your leg? <laughs> Will you wake up? Be vigilant. Watchful. Be ready, man. Don't be flirting with the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Keep your eyes open. Jesus is coming back. Again, verse 43, he says, But know this, that if the master had known what, uh, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. You know, if, if I were to call you, you know, if I would call my buddy Mike here and say, hey, Mike, I got word. Somebody's busting in your house around one, this, one in the morning, man. He'll say, well, I'll set my alarm. I'll wake up around him. You're you kidding me. He'd, have a, he'd be waiting for that guy to come through the window, you know. I had a friend, Joe Biaz, Jose Biaz, a good friend of mine, man. And he had a body shop in Bayonne, New Jersey. And, man, he was getting ripped off left and right, breaking through. He goes, oh, I'm going to catch this guy. And he waited, you know. And it was not a good moment for that thief when he got in. Anyway, to be ready. You don't, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. That's the warning. He says, therefore, look what he says in verse um, uh, 44. He says, look, not only to watch, but to be ready. Hitomas, it's a Greek word. It literally means this. It means to be prepared of person. Be, be prepared to do something to receive one's coming. We have to be ready for his coming. We can't just think and, you know, well, when he comes, trumpet's going to blast. I'll hear it. I'll get ready. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the same word being ready, being prepared, says this, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready, be prepared always to give an answer to everyone, every man that asks the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
Listen, here's a quote that I dug up. Bible's revelation, or Bible's revelation about the world's consummation should inspire godly motivation. Let me read that to you again. Bible's revelation about the world's consummation should inspire godly motivation. I don't know about you. I'm even trying to keep myself calm right now. But when I start to think, Lord, you could, you could c- come back now? I'm ready, Freddie. Boy, I'm not calling the Lord Freddie. I'm, you know, I'm ready. You know, and then maybe the 65 years old has something to do with it. I'm falling apart at a rapid rate. But then I tap the brakes a little bit because I've got some kids. They're not where they should be right now, you know. Oh, Harry, I thought once there, I'm not banking on anything. I just want them with me, praying for them, witnessing to them, bugging them. Anyway. To be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You're not sanctified. Be prepared. Give a reason. You know, it does bring about motivation. And I look at the world and it's full of doubts. It de- de- uh, dismisses the, the thought that there could be a judgment on the world, you know. It's... Did you ever hear someone saying... How can you believe in a God that would send someone to hell? And you go through the whole thing. Look, God did not create hell for people. You, you choose to go there. But they say those things just because they're full of doubt and they want to dismiss the whole thing. But the main reason or the real reason is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where he says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And spiritually, they, they don't understand the spirit. They don't understand godly things, you know. You, we that are spiritual should be able to evaluate the things, the signs of the times. You know, see what's happening. You know, I have this crazy app on my phone. I think it's the uh, news channel. Yeah, not news channel. What is that thing? It's uh, the weather channel. And they show you these little, these little movie clips they have on this, this app. It's scary, man, of the weather out there. Did you notice some of the, notice the flooding and you notice, you know, some of the things about global warming. I don't know anything about global warming, but I'm telling you something. I know the Bible talks that even nature itself, creation groans for its release. Something's going to happen. If you're truly wise, you'll keep your eyes on Palestine. We need to have the eyes of an eagle. And what do you say that? We, we have to keep our eyes open. You know, I, I, my, my pastor, a lot of you guys consider him your pastor too, Joe, Joe Foch. He's really into this creature, the eagle, you know. Some of the things I got from him, he says, did you know that, a, that an eagle, it has... Eight times as many visual cells per cubic centimeters than a human. Well, what does that mean? It means this. From eight, uh, 600 feet, it can spot a dime within the midst of bl- gr- blades of grass six inches toss, tall. It can see a fish, a three-inch fish, jump out of water 
from five miles away. That's how good its eyes are. And that's what kind of eyes I want. To see the signs. What's next? What's happening? You know, when I hear a church gravitating away from the word of God, it's a sign to me. When I hear ministers, my colleagues, want to shy away from the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. They want that church to be more, you know, seeker-friendly and more appealing to their, you know, the flesh. Then I see that. And to me, it's signs of the times. When I stop giving the gospel message at the end of anything I teach, tell me, how you didn't... You didn't tell people if they just believed in Jesus and received him as Lord and Savior, believed the blood that was shed was for the remission of sin. You let me know if I ever get away from the gospel. Listen, we don't know when he's coming back. But I know he wants us to be busy. I just want to read this. This is out of 1 Peter 4. But the end of all things is at a hand. Therefore, be serious. This is out of the New King James. Be serious and be watchful in your prayers. Be earnest, be disciplined. In the days that we live, we should be a people that have a prayer life. He says, be above all things, be fervent in love. In the last days, we should be able to show a deep love for people. Not just for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but for the world. To love your enemy, to love your neighbor. If someone smacks your cheek, turn the other. One compels you to walk a mile, go to with him. Verse 9, be hospitable to everyone without grumbling. The Greek indicates to be cheerful when you do it. Verse 10, as each one has received the gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That we should be able, in these last days, use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's in our lives for the furtherance of his kingdom. Verse 11 says, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies He says that in all these things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Some of us have that ability. Some people know how to talk, I mean, and gracefully. Then do it as if God is speaking through you. Maybe you go, I'm not that kind of person. I'll be honest with you, the crowds, I know I'm a pastor, but sometimes crowds bug me out. I I start getting a little wigged out, and guys around here call me Houdini. I disappear somehow, you know. But I love helping people. I love helping my sisters or single moms. I just, I don't know, there's just something about that. But do it as if God's doing it through you. In the last days. Do everything. Everything we do. In these days we should do. So that God is glorified through our lives. Amen church. Why don't you stand with me. You know the Bible says. And. That the man or the woman or the child, teenagers, I'm talking to you as well. 
the ones that have that hope of his return purifies his life. And it's not a message of legalism. It's not to kill your joy. But I, you know, for me personally, man, when the Lord comes back, I want him finding me all in. 100%, man. I don't want to be embracing this world. No, I know there are things in this world that there's, it's not right, nor is it wrong. It's just things that are necessities and things. That, but there's sometimes we love the world, the things of the world, you know, and we find we start gravitating to it. And I don't, I don't want to be in that position. I want my life sold out for him. I don't even want to worry about my next bill. I know I have to pay them. I don't want to be consumed about 401s and consumed about this or that. I just want to be consumed about reaching my loved ones, my kids, and, and my aunts, my uncles, my friends for Christ. So that when that trumpet is blown, the dead in Christ rises first. We that are alive and remain be caught up. And I look over, I'm going to see my uncle blasting up with me. I'm going to see all six of my kids. Hey, Bob, this is cool. Maybe there's something this morning you just leave you leave it at the cross. Whatever's tugging you, pulling you the other way, leave it at the cross. Leave it here. Just, Lord, I'm going back. I'm going to go home with a renewed, with a just desire to serve you. Would you lower your heads for me a second? Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. As your Lord and your Savior. What's that mean? I'm trusting that what he did on the cross, shedding his blood, taking my judgment, I believe that. If that's not you, and you want to receive Jesus into your heart, just simply pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Forgive me of my sinful nature. I invite you into my heart to make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, I repent of evil deeds. I will turn away from them and I will walk toward you. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. And dear Lord, for everyone else here today, If they need to leave something at the cross by your spirit, would you show them right now how to do that? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together, amen. Let's worship with one song.